church already, haven't we? <laughs> what a blessing it is for April and I to be with you today. Um, my heart is full, and um, I love this place. I know most of you don't know me, but I have a story here, and uh, I will share a little bit of that at the end. Um, but it, it, it is in reflection to what I want to talk about this morning, and uh, I do want to honor your pastor today and his wife, Carolyn. They, they have been longtime friends of mine, and uh, what, he, what, what Pastor Bill didn't tell you is uh, my mother went to the same high school that he went to in North Carolina, and uh, she always... I uh, had very good things to say about him uh, as, a, as his talent, and talented, and uh, in so many things he was involved in even then. So I've, I've known about uh, the registers for many years, and I've met uh, them about 22, 3 years ago, something like that, right? And, um, and, and they've always been a blessing to my life. And, and I came to this church um, in the spring of 2013, and the Lord made a pivot point for me here. And uh, I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, but I'll, I want to talk to you about the pivot point. Um, if you want to turn today with me, um, you're welcome to. Uh, Genesis, the 24th chapter, and uh, I, it will be on the screen, so if you just want to read it there, that's fine. But I want to talk to you about pivot points. The Lord often shows us many examples in the Word of people who had pivot points. There are points where things are going along as normal one way, and then all of a sudden something happens, and there's a pivot point. And, and things change for those people from then forward to, to step into the things that the Lord always intended for them to be involved in and to have. But He had to get them to a place in their normality in order to express to them an opportunity for a pivot point. And one of the most clear examples of this is the story and life of Rebecca. And this is a love story. It's a wonderful story. It's one chapter, and you can read the whole chapter later if you'd like to, because I won't read the whole thing to you today. But I do want to read to you just a little bit about this uh, situation and I want to talk to you for a few minutes about Rebecca. And then I want to share a quick story with you and show you how it applies to our lives today. So if you'll follow me just for a few minutes, we'll read this. It says, this is the situation. This is, this is what started the story. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. And he said to his senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but that you will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The situation is Abraham is aged in years. As you know the story of Abraham, you know that God called him out and said, I want you to separate from your family, and I want you to go, and for every place that you go, every place that you put your foot, I'm going to give you that as a land, and I'm going to make a nation out of your descendants, and you will prosper, and, and I, will, I will express myself to humanity through your life. It's a huge promise. 
But there was there was something that went along with that is he, he did have to leave his family. And he did have to go to a place, and he did have to be obedient. And over the chapters of his life, we read God's faithfulness to him as God himself introduced himself to humanity through the life of Abraham. And here he finds himself at the end of his life. He finds himself needing one more thing. He needs for God to send a mate to his son so that the offspring that God intends for his son to have will actually be able to, to be accomplished. And he does not want that to happen from a, le- from a woman who lives around them in that culture but is in a pagan situation. So God is in the process of moving on Abraham's heart, and Abraham calls in his servant and says, I need you to do something for me. Now, as you can imagine, and as I can imagine, if this were your situation and you were the servant... That's a large thing to ask of someone. Would you agree? Would you go Would you go and get a mate for my kid? Right? I don't want that. I don't want that responsibility. The servant immediately asks the question. Verse 5, it says, And the servant asks him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back? with me to this land. Shall shall I then take your son back to that country? And Abraham was very clear. He says, make sure you do not take my son back. The Lord, the God of heaven, has brought me out of my father's home in my native land who spoke to me and promised me on an oath to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send an angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son there. And if the woman is unwilling to come back, then you are released from the oath. Abraham has had enough time with the Lord that he knows that he can trust him. And he says to this servant, if she won't come, you're released. In other words, I'm going to do what I can do in this situation, but if it doesn't work out, I still believe God's going to solve the problem because he's already spoken to me about what he intends to do. And I know that whenever my efforts don't work, his efforts always work. And in the midst of that, he tells his servant what to do. The servant goes, and then the word says in in, in verse 10, it says that the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, uh, loaded with all kinds of things from his master. And he set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. Now, the town of Nahor, just for geography purposes, is in what we know today as the southeast part of the nation of Turkey. So this, this servant had to make a journey of about 250 miles on the back of a camel. Now, I'm, I don't know how many of y'all like to ride camels for sport, but, but I, I don't have one personally. Um, nor do I intend to get one, personally. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is not a hop in the car and let's ride 250 miles and stop along the way and get something to eat at that nice seafood place. This is a ride on a camel for 250 miles to look for a woman you don't know to offer her 
an engagement that to a man she doesn't know and ask her to hop on the back of one of those camels and ride home with you. Do you not, does, it, does the Bible not colorful to you? Let me show you what this looks like. Let's see if I can get this to work. I want you to see. All right. Can you see right here? This little blue line at the end. This is where the conversation happened. All right. The camel ride went all the way up through the top of what we know as Israel and then moved over into the eastern part of what we now know as Turkey. And then the situation uh, happened right there in that little town of Nahor. And then the ride back was longer than 250 miles. It was 350 miles because Isaac was living in the Negev, which is in the southern part of the nation, all the way down to the bottom. And so the ride home was even farther than the ride there. It was a big task. It was a big ask. It was an ask. It was an ask out of a hope of a heart of a father who wanted something good for his son. And there was a man willing to go. But this man went. The servant went. And he had a lot of anxiety to think about on that 250-mile ride. How in the world is this going to happen? And when he lands in the, in the city of Nahor, the word says in, in uh, verse 15, it says, Before he had finished praying, how many of you know that the Lord can answer your prayer before you finish praying it? You don't have to. He's not waiting on you to say it. He already has the answer. It's already there. He's just waiting on you to get to the process of unloading it so he can take over. And what happens right here is he says, Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel. And basically, she was Abraham's great niece. Okay, so out of all the, of all the little ladies of this town who had come out to get water in the evening for their family, which was the gathering place, and it's the place where, where, where all the ladies talked about life. It was the pl one place in the daytime they all went together, or went at the same time. And, and, this, and, and out of... All of this, the first person he sees before he finishes praying is the answer to his prayer, and yet he doesn't know it. He's curious about it. He thinks it might be, but he's curious about it. And, and here's what it says. It says, and she went, uh, it says, first of all, in, in verse 16, it says, the woman was very beautiful, and she was a virgin because she had slept with no man. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And the prayer of the servant was, Lord, God of Abraham, my master, please show me favor today and please show me kindness. And what I'm going to ask you, this was the prayer, is that when I, when I ask a young lady to, to offer me some water to drink, that when I finish drinking, that she will offer to water my candles. The servant hurried to meet her. Please give me a little water from your jar. Now, notice 
the extra words that are, I'm about to read that are in this passage right here. They're descriptive words of her. Drink, my Lord. In common language, we'd say, sure. It was pleasant. It was pleasant. It was a, yeah, absolutely, here. It was a, it was a positive. It was more than just a, okay. It was, sure. It was delightful. Drink, my Lord. She said, and quickly. She didn't just lower her jar. She quickly lowered her jar to her hands and gave him something to drink. And after she'd given him something to drink, she said, I'll draw water, water for your camels, too, until they've had enough to drink. And so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to get more. Are you noticing something about her personality? She's on the spot. Absolutely. I'll be happy to do that for you. Sure. No problem at all. You know what? I'll take care of the camels too. No problem. Now, what? I'm sorry. When you look at camels, I do have a picture. I'm not sure it'll make you anything but laugh. But the only thing I can think of is that stupid commercial on TV. Hump day. Don't, don't you, you, you know? Mike, 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 Mike. Don't you, does anybody see that commercial? I'm, I'm assuming you have because you're laughing about it. That's all I can think of when I look at this. Okay. But here's something about camels you might not know. It, it, it says, in, in my research, it said that a, a thirsty camel can drink 50 gallons of water in three minutes. And, an, and, a, normal, and a normal camel that's not super thirsty can drink can drink 30 gallons of water in 10 minutes all right so let's just let's just do a little math okay let's just talk for a minute about logistics because I'm a logistics kind of guy let's just say they're not thirsty but they probably are but we'll use the lower number there's 10 camels they're drinking 30 gallons apiece. That's six five-gallon buckets for those of you men who go to Home Depot and get the little orange bucket to do your chores around the house. That's six of those per camel. That's 60 buckets of water. And if you know anything about the wells of the day, and I have a picture of this too, you'll notice the wells. It's the, it's the next slide down, I think. And what you'll notice is, is that it descends down uh, it's kind of a gathering place, and then the next slide is more of a, of a schematic, but you'll see it. You, you see how you see how this works. They, they have to come out of what they call grade level, which is the level that we walk on. But because water has to come up out of the water table, they have to dig down a ways to get down to the water table. So there's usually steps that are required to go down to a place where you would get water. And then you would come up out of that place holding that water. So that water that weighs 8 pounds per gallon, that would be a bucket that weighed 40 pounds on a shoulder of a young lady. Now keep in mind, why don't I tell you that? She didn't have to do that. She could have just offered him a little water and went on her way. She didn't know this man. Why, why would she do that? So she spent the next amount of time in her life 
in that period of that day, in the evening, going down those steps, scooping up that pitcher, putting it on her shoulder, walking up those steps, pouring it into the trough, walking down those steps, filling it up again, walking up those steps, pouring it in the trough, who knows how many times, 50, 60 times. This tells us something about her. And this is interesting. This is worth noting. This is worth noting. First of all, it showed she had character. It was just something about her that she just, she, she was set apart. She was different. She wasn't normal. She had character. The second thing it shows is she was willing to work hard. She was diligent. She was willing just to be diligent. Just whatever's in front of her in that day's time, it was not larger than she was. She was just willing to take it on whatever that was, and she was willing to be diligent. She was hospitable. This was a stranger. And she was willing to give of herself to someone she didn't know, who really didn't, at, at least at that point in the story, she, she wasn't expecting to get something back. She was just giving out of, the, out of what was inside of her. She was honoring to a stranger. She was honoring. She was genuine. She was generous of her time and her energy. And she lived her life, obviously, with margin. Because she had enough time to stop what she was doing in the day-to-day parts of her life for an interruption that came along when she wasn't expecting it. To do something extraordinary for someone she didn't know with no return of anything back. That's the goodness of the Lord. When we live our lives in meditation with Him, and we know that He is good to us, and we sing about it, and we have worship when we come together, and when we walk out into the society that we live in, which is carnal and has so many problems, we are the salt. We are the Rebecca. When we are full of the Lord and the power of His Holy Spirit in our hearts, we have something to give away. We can help that widow. We can help that neighbor. We can help that single mother. We can help that cashier. We can help that waitress. We can tip extra just because we do, because we live in margin of our time and of our resource. And in those moments of extraordinary opportunity comes supernatural moments of impact. And Rebecca doesn't even know what she's doing. It is second nature to her to do what she's doing because it's coming out of her soul. It's coming out of her heart. It's an opportunity to bless someone. And she takes the moment and does it. If she had not done that, you and I would never have known her name. But she would have spent the rest of her life living in Nahor, and no one would have ever known her name. But because she was full of the goodness of the Lord coming out of her just in by nature, it changed her life and made a pivot point for her. And as a result, she took a 350-mile ride on a camel to the south and married a young man named Isaac who had been in covenant with the Lord because his father Abraham was willing to be obedient. And 
3,500 years later, we're still talking about her halfway around the world. That's hard for me to get my head around. Pivot points. Moments of opportunity. Where you're going about the normalities of life, and all of a sudden something happens and it changes everything. My wife told me a while back, she said, I'm praying about something. I'm praying that there'll be one day where there's one thing that changes everything for the better. I love that prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. But man, is it exciting. Do you want to finish your life in a cubicle, in the, in the just dull parts of society? Or do you want to walk, no matter where you're planted, knowing that the Holy Spirit is showing up on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And the God moments, the heaven moments, the intersection moments, where heaven itself steps down and touches earth. There is no place I would rather be There's three, there's three little takeaways. I won't finish reading the story, but I, I just there's three takeaways that are worth noting. One is that when we are living our life with focus on blessing others in the normalities of our days, that opens supernatural doors of blessing and hope. That's worth noting out of the story. Second thing that's worth noting is when we live in margin, what I mean by that is we don't spend everything we make, and we don't exhaust our, our calendars so full that we don't have any downtime or time for, to, to have opportunities for interruptions or things, and we have time. When we live our lives in margin, that allows us the ability to be a blessing to others in key moments of time when the Lord chooses. And the third thing is when finding contentment in the place that we are planted, the place that you are, the job you have, the, the, the community you live in, the people that you talk to, the, the activities that you do, the Little League ball games, all of the things that you do, the place where you are planted, when we find contentment in those places and we're not spending our time wishing that we lived in that subdivision and that we had that car and that our clothes were this way and that way and we're not focused on what other people around us have and we find contentment in the place that we are planted by the Lord, it opens our eyes to see the opportunities that other people miss. See, when, when, when Jesus compared us to salt, I don't know about you, but there are certain foods I don't want to eat them without salt. Avocados, they've got to have salt because they just taste like cardboard if you, if you don't. I'm sorry, you probably don't agree with that. It's okay. Salt takes normal life 
and expands it. Jesus is saying, don't lose your saltiness. I need you to be different. I need you to think different. I need your priorities to be different. I need you to manage your time different. I need you to be for me what I need you to be in that place of normality. Because I need to change normality to become supernatural. And the only way I can do that is by planting someone there who understands the way I think about things. God is calling us out to be Rebecca's. Paying attention to what's going on around us. Being hospitable to people that we, we don't need something back from. Being helpful to those just because we can be helpful. Loving people just because we can love them. Not needing anything from them, but being willing to give them whatever it takes at the time that it takes it. God is calling us to be aware. A heightened sense of understanding. Kingdom thinking. It's a powerful story, don't you agree? I know it's 12 o'clock. If you'll give me two or three more minutes. I'm going to tell this story Tuesday morning. I know the intercessors will be here. Can I invite other people who want to hear it? Okay. Okay. Right. You don't have to come. I'm going to deal with it a little more then. Okay. I'll just give you today the hot spots. I went back to Emmanuel College, started working there in 2009. I'd been out in commercial banking, come back. And I was so excited to get to come back because I thought it was some unfinished business. I want to do some things. I felt like it was a prophetic word from the Lord. I knew that it was a change of season for me. Started getting back there. When I got back there, it started growing. Things started happening. Buildings started getting built. Students started coming. Programs started getting added. I was so excited. I was living in my element. I was living in a dream. And in December of 2012, the president called in the administrators and said, we've got a problem. I don't know how large it is. We just let the CFO go. And I don't know what we're going to do, but we're $2 million short on cash for the rest of the month. I was the guy out front. I was the guy going, come be a part of what we're doing. You're going to love it. It's great. I was that guy. And the guy that I ate tacos with once a week just take my knees out from under me. Came home, and I told April, I am, my world has just been shattered. I have been all over the Carolinas and Georgia and all over the southeast promoting something that has, has been something that's been going on in the back behind the curtain that we didn't know about. And, I, and my reputation, my integrity, everything about me is now in jeopardy from a friend. Oh, Bill, sometimes you just need to talk to people. 
probably, all, I guess that was 2013. I'm not sure if it was April, May, but somewhere in the spring. So he said, yeah, Brian, I'll eat lunch with you. He said, but I got this little prayer meeting. I got this little prayer meeting that I need to go to first. You're welcome to come. I thought, well, anything I need at all today is prayer. Came in the back doors of that church, spring of 2013, I believe it was. I walked in that little room back there with folded chairs, and kind of a pale colored paint on the wall. It still had me back there. And I was so numb that I could not even get a prayer out. I'd driven six hours. They eat lunch and talk. But I couldn't, I couldn't even say the word help. I was so shattered. Those intercessors prayed for over an hour in that room. Praying for sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so. Holy Spirit, come be a part of our service. Would you be here? Would you touch lives? Would you heal things? I just sat there like a sponge and just that make sense? I left here and went to Orlando to a conference and it was one of these charismatic conferences you know, these real wound up conferences and I had to speak I had to tell everybody the problem I came the year before to tell them how great things were now I have to come tell them the problem I poured my heart out to them on the pro- about the problem on Thursday. On Friday night, I'm still at the conference, but I'm sitting in the back of the room. And I really don't, I'm not paying attention to what the message is. I'm just still numb. It's the same week. And the minister calls us to the front, and he had not been there the day before. So he, he was the only person in the room that didn't know my story. Nor did, nor had I seen him in over a decade. He didn't even remember my, who I was. He just kind of like, are you from Georgia? Kind of thing. He called everybody to the front. I walked down to the edge of the stage. You, you know how it is when you're called to the altar but you really don't want to go? And so you never come down to the front because there's too much sight line, right? I, I'm meddling now, right? I'm meddling. But if you come to the altar when you really don't care whether you're there or not, you always stand on the side because the minister's looking this way, right? And, and I was six or seven people deep. And it was dark. And this minister's walking across the stage, and he's talking, and he's preaching, and he's finishing up his sermon, and he's winding up. And he gets to right here, and he starts to turn back, and he gets to right, and he turns like this, and he says... You. It was like this big red eggs, you know. He says, I believe the Holy Spirit would say to you that people look at your situation as if it's Humpty Dumpty. There are too many broken pieces to ever put that back together. But I want you to know that the Father says he's going to solve your problem. Oh, <laughs> my 
I'll just tell more of this Tuesday. But let me just say, over the next five years, it was a day-to-day walk with the Lord. And last year, that problem, by the time it got solved, was over $32 million. And I went back to that same conference two years ago, and the bishop that was there told me, he said, I'm running behind. Can you just wrap it up quick? Do, you know, Take your 15 minutes and cut it to five. I said, yeah, you can scrap the video and we'll do this. I literally stood up shooting off the hip. I don't usually do that, but I did have to that day. And I told a story about our archery team who had just won second in the nation. And I made this point because there were a couple of archers who came to Emmanuel that were not saved. And they got saved while they were there, and they gave their testimony in their senior year right before graduation. And I, and I made some comment, and it, and it was not even planned, but it was a comment that just, you know, the Lord taking students in the four years and kind of working with them and, and beginning to heal their insides and save them and give them direction and purpose. And it was like the Lord taking arrows and launching them into society. It was just a random comment. And I sat down, and the man in front of me, who I'd never seen, didn't even really notice he was there, He turns around and he hands me a yellow piece of paper from one of those tear-off pads. And he had written a handwritten note on that that pad. And it was a full page. And he said, my uncle, his name is Elvis. Who names our kid Elvis? He said, my uncle is just retired from, and he told me the university. He said, he trains the Olympic rifle team. Would your institution be interested in starting a program? And I just sat back, let's talk after church. We got to the back, started talking for a few minutes. And he introduced himself, and I said, what do you do? He said, I own some finance companies, and we we restructure bond debt in distressed financial situations, and we do workout conclusions. I said, this is your lucky day. two years, he and about 25 other people in negotiation solved that problem and brought that debt down to $8 million. And in one day, the Lord erased $24 million of responsibility because it started in a prayer room back at that church. supernatural when you water the